Hello, good day, and welcome to another edition of the Arena Craft podcast focused exclusively on Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts. We're joined today not only by vanilla regular co-host Kovac Go Blue. Say hello, Kovac Go Blue. I'm boring. <laughs> that, this just means that he plays white. I don't. <laughs> Move on. We are also joined today by special French vanilla, rainbow, chocolate, spumoni, <laughs> special guest, Andrea Mangucci. Welcome to the show, Andrea. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for the invite. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. For those of you who don't know Andrea Mangucci, is probably not that many of you, but Andrea Mangucci is a highly decorated Magic player, top pro winner of the first Mythic Invitational on Arena, certified Zoomer and Boomer. I feel like um, Mangu is one of the few people like who really straddles that divide. It's really an honor <laughs> to have you on the show, Mangu, because we typically focus just on Arena on this show, and I always love to get the perspective of people people who have a long history with magic before arena definitely uh, when there was the early last year i guess maybe two years ago like the magic boomer the zoomer stuff like that i tried to stand with the zoomer for a while i think that now i am going back to the boomers aside a little bit more you know collecting tradable cards playing on magic online but uh, i definitely love to also uh, play arena I stream arena every day. I do my dailies. That's very important. And uh, yeah, make a lot of content for kind of Fireball, of course, both like historic alchemy and then standard. It's definitely a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. We're honored to have you. Also, just a quick plug. Andrea Maguchi has been releasing videos on YouTube for a very long time. I think you've trademarked the term video. You can go to Andrea's YouTube channel. He basically plays every format of Magic that I'm aware of in some quantity. We'll definitely talk more about that in a little while because, you know, we're excited to cover that ground. First of all, I just wanted to briefly discuss with you, Mangu, your history with the game because, like, like we said, you've been playing Magic forever. So one of the questions I want to know is what age were you and when did you first pull that sword out of the stone and proclaim, I am a Magic player? I would say that uh, we started playing Magic at the beach as children. Some people were playing uh, the Game Boy on Pokemon and I like never had the Game Boy. So I was mostly playing like either cards or stuff like that. And then, you know, this new game came out. Uh, my, my, my brother also used to be playing it and uh, it's called Magic. It was in 2004. I remember my first ever pack was Champion of Kamigawa. Whenever I was going to, to the headquarters in uh, Wizards, I was always asking, why are not making a new Kamigawa? Like, you know, people love uh, Japanese, like you see with War of the Spark, uh, the Japanese cards. So I'm pretty happy to see that Kamigawa's back. I would say that I was just, you know, a child playing the game for like many years. I never really done much else than like playing game uh, like this. But then during uh, the years where I went to university, uh, which was around 2010, 2012, I started, you know, going to all the PTQs. In Italy, we had a lot of PTQs almost every Sunday. So I was traveling, you know, every Sunday with like a group of friends to you know, try to qualify for the PT and just get on the train. I ended up uh, staying on the train until now, still qualified for the events that are happening on the Oli Magic Arena now. So I would say that the history started in 2004, but mostly started as a pro player around 2015 with the World Magic Cup win and 16 with uh, more PT top and so on and so forth. 
When you first started, I'm always curious about this. What was the card availability in Italy and what was the scene like? Was it still really growing or was it already flourishing by the time you started? The PTQ in Italy were very, very popular, especially my area, which is in the center of the country. We had like PTQs of 300 people often. Back in the days, we had like the PTQ system, right? The America uh, used to have more PTQs than everyone, of course, you know, Mount of Flares. Then it was Japan and then it was Italy. So Italy was definitely one of the most popular country playing magic. That's really cool. That's awesome to hear. When you talk about people like Paolo, for example, you know, talking about his experience of coming up and it's like such a Herculean effort to just get to like that even ground level of competitive yeah. place. Just want to remind people who play in the US of that. There's yeah. often a lot of barriers. So this is before my time. Whenever I won PTQs, I always had the, the invite comes with a, a plane ticket uh, in my time. But before my time, you actually have to buy your own plane ticket in countries like you mentioned Brazil. Paulo mentioned that he had to skip many PTs or worlds he was qualified to because he couldn't afford the, the plane ticket. That wasn't a thing for me. My family always supported me. So whenever I had to travel to Honolulu to pay my own travel and everything. I didn't receive a no. That's definitely one of the things I was privileged about. And uh, so I got to go, for example, on Honolulu on a silver invite in 2016, which meant that I had to pay for my own flight over a thousand euro and so on and so forth. So, you know, definitely I was more privileged than other Magic player. You certainly earned your way. I mean, Pro Tour Top 8, like you said, you know, winning the world. You've done so much in Magic. Yeah, I always love hearing that perspective. Something that I think a lot of people playing Arena just might not actually like have that full grasp of history. I know that Kovac Go Blue has been like an avid follower of the pro scene basically forever. Since the beginning, since number one, whenever I could spare time or a few eyeballs for a sideboard article that came with the Duelist or the back page of Inquest, yeah. You might not be aware, Andrea, but CGB actually played in the first ever Pro Tour. Oh, the one with the, the phone call where you had to get a phone call in? We don't, why does everybody remember it for that? There is a really cool story about that. I got to <laughs> yeah. tell uh, Gavin at Wizards this story recently. I was 14 and mm. my mom, I, I think she must have found it in one of the magazines, but yeah. she came and told me and my sister who was 12, that she got a letter from Wizards of the Coast and that they were inviting us to go to New York and play in this juniors division professional tournament because they heard we're some of the best players in Michigan or something like that. And we believed her. She was a good mom. But, yeah. you know, you called the phone number to qualify. I'll have you know, we finished. I finished 55th. My sister finished 56th. I'm not kidding. Nice. You can look in the standings. It's there. Dan and Kim Wagner from Elmira, Michigan. It was like 300-something players. Wow. Nice. And we qualified for Pro Tour Long Beach. We couldn't afford the ticket. We didn't go. Brutal. So I, I feel like I earned it in retrospect. I didn't scrub out. Where was the first one? Chicago? New York. New York, okay. And we lost round one because our flight the night before got canceled and our flight in the next day, we arrived a, an hour late. And it was 1996? 1996, yeah. Okay, cool. I was three years old then. <laughs> <laughs> cool, that's, that's fun to think about. You're probably already better at magic at that age, Mangu, than I'll ever no. be, so. <laughs> I need to get something out here because yeah. Mangu here, you won the tournament. If I could have competed in and won one tournament in Magic history, and not just because of the prize pool, that, that first Mythic Invitational, the very first one, it had the MPL and 32 like content creators. I was there, but I was not 
invited to play. I watched you win that on the stage. It was really exciting. It was a great moment, but that was the closest they ever came to a best of one like mega tournament. And I am a best of one non-apologist. I think it's a great format. I love playing it. I helped MTG Nerd Girl prepare for that tournament just because I loved it. I love the format. I was like, man, I've never wanted to be someone else in my whole life as much as I wanted to be Andrea Mingucci in that moment. You were in the arena, like in the huge arena, watching the top four. I was was sitting next to Andre Strasky, like two seats away from him. That was definitely, again, it's a huge achievement, the Mythic Invitational win, because that was the first one. Whenever you are the first one of something as big as the revolution that came with Magic Arena, it's always going to remember. And I'm very, very proud of that win, which uh, I didn't love that format that much. Playing that Esper control was so great. It was so good. (laughs) Everybody was on that Esper. I've never lost that with that deck in the whole uh, three days. You know, Mono White was also a very, very excellent choice, but uh, the Esper deck was just Teferi Hero of Dominaria, such a good card. Was that when you really fell in love with Esperona, the <laughs> archetype, or did were you already an Esper mage before that? No, I wasn't. That's what cementified. And mostly yeah. it was the, the Arena PT actor was in Las Vegas. Uh, many people, mostly Brad Nelson and BBD, were championing this Esper hero. So it was these Esper, uh, you're lower to the ground with Hero of the Precinct One, Thief of Sanity. Whereas I was on the bigger side with uh, Kaya, Kaya's Breath, and uh, just more removal spells. And I was sure that Esper Control was better than Esper Agro. And I made the distinction of Esperone, which was the one that I was playing versus Esperino. In Italian, like something big is one. So for example, Maccheroni, you, you, you know this word, right? Maccheroni yeah, means no way. bigger. Okay. And then you have something smaller. Cappellini, maybe? Cappuccino, you know Cappuccino, right? Yeah. That's a small hoodie, Cappuccino. So yeah, that's the difference. So Esperone, Esperino, just like Teferone and Teferino, I, I make this difference. The, the five mana Teferi versus the three mana Teferi. Which is brought back to Arena, the four mana Teferi. But it's much worse than you used to be. Yes, I was going to ask, how how are you feeling about the return of Teferi? I'm very happy that they're giving us cards for free, because that's actually what they did. They gave us four Teferi Time Raveler for free. It's not great, but it's a free card. And I really hope that uh, they will also do this for the other cards on the historic ban list one day. I mean, slowly. That's the thing, right? Is it better to have this experience with this broken card for a little while and then it gets banned and you live with the memories and you move on and you use those wild card refunds on something else? Or is Mm. it better to have it get changed and be a shell of its former self and watch it ungracefully age into obscurity. (laughs) You're right in thinking about that because, for example, I don't know, my experience with Holebreaker Horror. I used to play Holebreaker Horror in the sideboard of just get control and now just removed it. You used to play it because it's uncountable and now it's not the mirror breaker anymore. So... I guess you're right. It's maybe better to just ban and get the wild cards. But for those cards on the ban list, though, they could make, I don't know, Bill Summer costs two mana in the spec or stuff like that. I don't know what the right thing is. Like, there's yeah. ups and downs to both. I, at first, I was pumped that Teferi, you know, was back, even if it was Tefori now. But, yeah, Tefori. Um, <laughs> then you play it and you're like, that didn't feel the same. No, it's four <laughs> mana so much. Adding a mana to a card is, I mean, we've seen with like, I don't know, Village Rights and. It does give you a power of appreciation because I was playing Commander the other day and I cast Teferi for three mana and I was just mm. like, oh god, that's so good. I, yeah, no, I didn't I, know what I had. This is amazing. Yeah, I played that in Modern. It's nice. Modern Teferi 3 is very good. 
While we're talking about this, Mengu, I'd love to just get some of your thoughts on digital-only magic, whether it's in alchemy or like the updated historic. Like we're talking about bringing back banned cards in nerfed form. How are you feeling about this? Like, are you excited about the future of digital-only magic? And I'm also curious to hear your thoughts on that difference. Like, what is it like for you as a person who's very used to playing these cards in, yeah, modern or even older formats, right? So you're very used to the kind of the unpowered down version and then coming to Arena and seeing it like that. How do you feel about all that? I personally think that the differentiating Arena to Paper Magic is not a bad thing. Magic Arena has a huge potential that Magic Online and Paper Magic don't have, which is to change cards that are too strong. I think in theory, Alchemy has a huge potential, but I think there's two things that I disagree on the execution. The first one is that they've added a million rares in the Alchemy-only format, and that's obviously just not great, especially since those cards, to me, felt like they weren't properly tested. They were just throwing in there and the client maybe sometimes wasn't even ready, like the Tom Star and Upkeep Stop and stuff like that. And another thing is, I think they changed them too quickly. So I remember disagreeing with a magic personality on Twitter about that. Uh, this person really wanted Alchemy to change like soon, super soon, like after one, three weeks or one month. And the magic players, all the time magic players know that in order to have ban list, you have to have proper results. You can't just ban a card because it has a high percentage on the top uh, .gg or on like some events that aren't like as good as, as like relevant on MTG Melee. I think it's important that you wait for a PTQ for the arena open and maybe to wait for the set championship. But this person was really disagreeing and they should have made all these changes. And they actually did. They made all these changes. And now what happened? That all the things that you knew at Alchemy before, that are not true anymore because Lear is not like the key of the deck anymore. So many things changed. And I think that's too quickly. I think that the metagame was already adapting with Gru Werewolves being a good deck and the deck didn't get any nerf. So to me, our Alchemy has a great potential to just change cards and nerf cards but you have to wait you can't just do all these changes so quickly and people just are so afraid now to craft the deck because what if they just change uh, how i don't know cobbler works or mm -hmm. stuff like that so i think you should still learn from the past of magic which is to be patient about uh, the changes that you want to make and not just ride the bend this, bend that, bend this deck I lost against thing that's very real, I think, on Twitch and maybe on Twitter, but shouldn't actually be the way things go in games. I get this feeling that there are some people at Wizards who are really excited that they get to change cards now, and they're just kind of doing, I think, what they feel like they always wanted to do. I wish instead that maybe they would bring in consultants or hire somebody from games that are used to changing cards and know the effects that these things can have. You're right. The key to the archive didn't get touched and Townraiser Tyrant barely got tagged and the werewolves are absolutely fine. It felt like the changes that they made, it didn't feel like it changed very much well at all other than nerfing some decks that were just trying to keep up. It's really strange, especially when they're changing pushed cards after just a few weeks because heaven forbid you nerf them too hard and you only got to really play that card for a few weeks. I don't know. It feels yeah. weird. At first I was really excited about it too because like, did you enjoy when Pioneer had basically no band list? 
And they were like, we're going to just let you guys play and then ban what we want to. A lot of people enjoyed that. I thought Alchemy might be that, but it hasn't felt that way. They really just added way too many cards to begin with, in my opinion, especially as a rarity. So that wasn't great. But I think what is not great is exactly this, changing cards so quickly. I'm afraid that people are now scared of playing Alchemy and crafting Alchemy cards because they might get nerfed, whereas they know that Standard will not get that feeling. And you we also see how slow they were at reacting with standard, which was about their standards of slowness of bandings. Aaron's Epiphany had a 57 win percentage at the set championship when everybody knew Aaron's Epiphany would be the most played deck and pros were competing and they didn't do anything. You can say that they did that because they wanted to let Alchemy flourish. I feel that, again, Alchemy had a huge potential and maybe it still has. It's not like burnt yet. Uh, next month, there's a set championship. You know, we're already uh, testing. I, I don't know if you read the team that I set up. No, I didn't see you yeah, at a team. I haven't seen know that team. either. Let us know. All right. After the qualifier at this point, it's like two weeks ago, I tweeted that uh, recently I was um, kind of going lone wolf. You know, I have all these like contents you make. So I don't really want to like share that much with the team. I wanted to just be focusing on creating content. Still, I was practicing and bringing decks that were good and doing like fine results. There's so many people that qualify through whether it is Magic Online or Magic Arena, and they just never really leave the, the PT testing experience. So I wanted to create a Discord group and do basically what I was doing with my team, you know, before I decided to, to stop doing so. So now we have me and Eli Lovman, I took with me, and uh, we have this group of, at this point, 16 people that joined. They're playing on Discord. I tell them to, like, share the deck list, write the detailed report of what they learned. So basically what I was doing... Uh, in testing, just kind of like letting people that qualified on this COVID times where you can't gather to meet uh, anymore in the testing house like we were doing, but, you know, still could do that with the team instead of uh, practicing on the ladder. That sounds really cool. I've heard from some pros that like the testing houses and that kind of thing was overrated, but as a fan of Pro Magic for many years, I think that that was an underrated dream that the PT had, you know, the whole play the game, see the world was nice. I wanted to be playing the game. I wanted to try a week in a testing house. I was like, that just yeah. sounds like heaven to somebody yeah. who likes playing magic. Being yeah, there with other magic players, just jamming games and eating food and maybe on a beach in Hawaii, ideally, you know? <laughs> that yeah. just sounds like heaven. It was during 2018. It's when uh, me and Javier started testing like a lot. And what I was doing was I was flying from where I live to Valencia, where he was living. And I was playing with him for five or six days just me and him. We're yeah, both... This is uh, Javier Dominguez, yeah. former world champion, the fervent yeah. champion for anybody yeah, yeah, yeah. at home who doesn't know. Go on. Uh, me and Javier, we were like workhorses. We can play magic for 12 hours, 14 hours a day. Just test and uh, stuff like that. For example, you know, for uh, World 2018, the one that Javier won, we played 200 Mirror of Red Black Vehicle in oh Valencia. Our testing went to some certain level of testing cards that we were, for example, like just setting up draws. For example, the player was on the draw always starts with an Art of Kiran in hand, you know, to, to cast wow. it on turn two, to just see if the card is good on the draw or only on the play, you know, stuff like that. Or the player uh, with a Siege Gang Commander always cast his on five, you know, 
stuff like that. So we were really deep into the testing because we knew that Vehicle would have played the most popular deck, the strongest deck. The world was basically only mostly mirror match of that deck. So that's, yeah. you know, where the pro testing arrives. But yeah, we were basically just meeting at his house. And then if it was for a PT, we then would travel to a location, which was usually the GP. Because before the PT, you had the, the GP the week before. And then you would travel to the, to the PT location. So it was basically like two weeks and a half of just traveling and testing the whole day. That definitely worked wonders because me and Javier finished like first and second in the 2019 uh, standings. But as you said, the testing hours were overrated, but maybe because the people that thought that weren't really exploiting the full value of it. The testing house is like the thing that put us to the next level. And when COVID arrived after 2020, I couldn't replicate that testing house in person. And I just couldn't do it online. Like I couldn't test as much online and I just started testing less and less and focusing more on content. My YouTube brain is thinking about how a 72 hours of testing the red black vehicle mirror video would do. <laughs> just, just the full 72 hour video. You, know, yeah. you ever see like those 24 hours of rainfall videos? And then people like clip, oh, he had the, the, a card from the side to his end. Or another very common thing is just to go back. Like you make a play and then like, oh, no, 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 no. You just go back because, you know, in testing, you, you can take those easy take, take back, whereas you can't do that arena and sometimes it's just locked with a play you know like and now you have to like play a game that you would have played different in testing what no i like that's what you highlighted is that there are things that you can do in paper that you just can't do in digital magic which are really helpful for testing i like how you can stack the hand you can stack the deck you can do any number of things play a couple of turn cycles or whatever and then you can rewind and try it again or, or just like so yeah. many different things i think that's kind of a revelation for anyone who has only played arena is just the being able to play in so many different ways and to test in so many different ways. You know, a game is about to end, but you go like, oh wait, what if I played this way two turns ago? And you just rewind two turns ago because that maybe is a play that you need to learn. You can just easily learn the first three turns of a game and then you can replicate those three turns because in Constructed with four cards of each, it's a thing that you can do in limited hardware, of course. I just wanted to briefly ask you, you've been an MPL member, you've been very, very involved in competitive play. How are you feeling about that moving forward? What do you expect your involvement to be? And CGB looks like he has a question too. I guess it's kind of a precursor, but I think it wasn't that long after you won the biggest prize pool in for a first place for tournament history that you put out a tweet talking about how you saw the future in content creation and you were leaning harder into content. And that wasn't that long, I think, after you won. I think I remember a tweet like that. Well, I always believed that content creation was what's going on with the Pro Magic because since I started playing Pro Magic, the PTs has been the same. Like since 2010, the PT has been literally the same. We had four PTs, you had a clear pattern. That was the prize pool. No one ever dreamed of having more. And the only way to sustain yourself was through content creation because Platinum was barely making enough. It was making, I don't know, maybe like $15,000 a year, which obviously is a lot for some countries, but that wasn't, uh, you know, the dream job or anything. What you were hoping for was to just do well in tournaments to keep on winning. But content creation was that safe salary. Also, Platinum wasn't easy to achieve. Gold was somewhat easy to achieve from year to year. But Platinum was really much, much harder. Content creation lets you have the cushion. Maybe in this season, I don't do as much well, but I still have that income. With MPL, that changed totally. 
Well, you know, wizards believed that magic pros needed to become personalities and they wanted to like monetize on that. You know, that was their job. You know, your nine to five job to join the MPL. That was basically the deal. Now, we all know that didn't work, not only for COVID reasons, but also because magic players, I think they want to play. They don't want to watch or rather they do want to watch, but they want to have the chance to play. That was the biggest difficulty. They want to watch content creator to learn how to play so that they can compete and they can qualify the PT play against me one day, for example. And the MPL was very exclusionary. It wasn't doing this. The system failed and Wizards took it all away. And honestly, I think it's fine. I mean, it's very unfortunate for the people who joined the system in 2021 because they like maybe worked hard to get there and now taken away from their feet. I would say that moving forward, just clearing the thing and ideally, I want to say, go back to the system. The one that I knew, the one that I fell in love with, that would be my hope. But I honestly think that it's not a bad idea that they just took it all away and they will restart with, as they said, a robust system after they can play tournament magic in real life again. Online, digital, not only paper magic, but also like, you know, the arena, the arena PTs, the Mythic Invitational, stuff like that. I think it was so much better than the one that they're holding uh, these days. Just being face to face, having an interview with like an actual interviewer that adds a lot to the viewership count. I think I was listening to the episode that I wasn't here for. I was on vacation, but I was listening to the episode with Mike Flores and he was saying, give us back the old PT. It doesn't have to have a huge prize pool. It doesn't have to have a lot of bells and whistles. People will play for it for pride and to celebrate the game and to be with their friends. And that struck me. And I hope they just hook up some nice cameras and cover it like it's 2012. I'd be perfectly happy with that. As someone who's done this a lot, Mangu, how does it feel to be in a coverage match in a real PT? How does it feel to be sitting at that table playing the magic with the cameras there for the highest stakes? Because to me, that just seems like the most exciting thing a person could do. Maybe at the beginning it is, but then when you start going to like every PT, every GP, and you consistently get on the future match often, especially if you do well, like if you do well, you expect to to be there. You just don't think about it. You think about you like drawing a good hand and playing your cards in a proper way. I was never really pressured by the spotlight. I was actually happy, you know, whenever I got interviewed or whenever I got a future match because I had the chance to say to people, hey, look, I'm there, I'm doing this thing. I always embrace the spotlight that Wizards put us on because that was one of the problem with the MPL is that it was kind of a mix of we, Wizards of the Coast, need you, person in the MPL, to advertise yourself and to advertise our game because we're paying you to do so. Many people, they just want to play the game. Many people, they just have a job and want to play magic to go to tournaments and if they do well they're very happy about it they don't want to advertise magic or they don't want to maybe even advertise themselves many people are just shy again the system previously it was talented people like Baron David Marshall and Rich Hagen they were able to highlight all the players oh this Japanese player he's been killing it on the PT and even if that person never said a word in English the world knew that person because the commentators had a very important thing of maybe that that went wrong is that um, people needed to put a personality on a magic player that wasn't necessarily it it's not normal I think to be a person that is good at advertising yourself to sell a game that's not a thing that they teach in school. It's not natural. The people who are good at it make it look natural. It's, it's not. I actually think in some ways it might 
run against like a magic player in particular because think about the skill set that makes you really good at magic is away from a lot of the skill sets that make you good at talking to people and make you a good entertainer and all that kind of stuff so if you're the kind of person who's spending tens of hours a week grinding modo or whatever that's not time that you're spending studying public speaking or whatever right i totally take your point mango it's really rough in their free time they just want to play magic they don't want to be messing around with all this other crap and all of a sudden they have this expectation that in order to be really successful at this game i have to develop all of these other skill sets when all i wanted to do is just like play some good magic i obviously have to thank like wizards of the coast for the mpl thing because thanks to them i started streaming i wasn't a streamer in 2016 17 18 i was a student back then i have a degree that i of course spent a lot of time on but i also were going to javier's house and we were practicing i wasn't making content i was writing for channel fireball strategies article but i wasn't streaming i wasn't YouTubing anything. The Wizards told me, all right, we have the MPL contract and you have to stream like mandatory. So like all these people that I mentioned before that were like, I don't really want to stream. I want to just do my thing. I want to test. Now they were put in a tough spot. But for me, that wasn't the case. As I said, I love the spotlight. I love to go in the future match. I love streaming now. Over three years past since uh, that thing and I'm still streaming every day at the same hour. And now I also make YouTube videos. So that's definitely something that it was thanks to the MPL that I started that. You know, you said the magic were the YouTube videos thing. And that's kind of a content thing I do a lot and pretty excited about that. So you've been streaming for, you said, three years since the MPL thing and the streamer contracting got you into that. Now you're also working on YouTube a lot. And I think you're probably one of the most successful pros going into content, looking at numbers and consistency. Your stream does really well. Your YouTube channel looks like it's growing from what I can see, and it's actually really exciting to see. So I'm wondering how content creator life treating you. Are you enjoying it? Is that the future? I would say that in order to be a content creator, you just can't travel that much. Like I couldn't do that if I was doing the PT life, I was able to do that because of COVID. I was able to stay home every day and be super consistent, be able to put videos on YouTube, comment to everyone who was writing a message because you know that happens a lot. And if I can answer the people who message me, I'll help. And of course, like writing first, that just takes so much time and you have to be consistent. That's the most important thing, I think for a streamer and for your YouTuber is the consistency. I'm trying to put out a YouTube two videos per day that either come from my stream or to like pre-record. And I think that if I was like not doing that uh, because hey, look, I have to go to this GP because I need to chase points to qualify for this other thing. So I'm not streaming from Thursday to Monday. People would be like, well, then I just start watching. You know, it's just like this whole thing that because they remove the pro club and be like, you have to join the said event in person. Of course, they had to remove it because there is none. But I was able to make a lot of content and I'm not sure what will happen if those events return. You might have to make a choice on that. Front. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That'll be a tough one. Of course, you can try and balance it all because also, of course, people love to watch you in, in real life. Like when you went to Las Vegas, I'm sure so many people were just happy to see you there. But you just can't do that every weekend, which was the, the GP life back then uh, during the 2018. Uh, I attended 30 GPs in 2018. And that's like, I don't know how many weekends a year it has, but almost every weekend was a GP. Again, that's also a traveling that takes like two days, like Thursday and Monday. So they have like two days left to stream that week and people just can't take that, I think. The trips I have gotten to make, it's one of the reasons I've 
focused a lot on YouTube over Twitch. Before I started making content, I traveled a lot, more just for recreation than for anything else. But I just liked going on a lot of different trips around the world, seeing places. And I found that with YouTube, I could just record a bunch of videos in a day and then post them over the next like weeks or so and see similar results. And it was like people didn't know I was gone. Yeah. I, that's one YouTube advantage. Definitely. could work out. You've been doing two videos a day for a little while. That's a good chunk. Those could be spaced out to ones if you wanted to disappear for a little while. What people know me a lot for too is my legacy videos on Channel Fireball. I have over 400 legacy videos for Channel Fireball. Uh, maybe 500 now, I don't know. At some point they said this was the 400. I lost track and I was doing that weekly. So I was able to be like, all right, I'm home two days. I'm going to record four videos for Channel Fireball. And then I'm like spamming them. They handled everything. I was just giving the OBS file. So yeah, YouTube is definitely welcoming in the system. And I can see going from Twitch to YouTube, but honestly, I think what Twitch has going for it is that it keeps you company. I am a person that very rarely stays alone. Sometimes maybe I do some walk around to listen to some podcasts, but I always try to meet some people to play some real magic or go with my girlfriend or some parents, but I really like company. And I feel like whenever I'm recording a video for Channel Fireball or for YouTube exclusive, I get very much in depth, but at the same time, I feel like it's work. It's like a job. It's like saying you have to do chain the thing where you have to do that. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're in a room by yourself, playing a game by yourself, talking to nobody. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Whereas on Twitch, and especially if you have a larger audience, which I have the luck to have, you actually have a talk. People ask you questions about not game-related thing, and you start talking about it. And basically, Twitch makes you feel four hours of streaming way less. They're light. They just go faster. Whereas if you had to record four hours of YouTube alone, exclusive, like talking, that would feel a lot more painful. I'm experimenting with more Twitch in my life. And since I came back, I've streamed every day except for one. I've only missed one day so far. I had started to grow like kind of wary of comments on YouTube because they were so negative surrounding things like alchemy or standard. If I posted one, they, people wanted the other. If I posted the other, people wanted alchemy. It's just it's like they're Hatfields and McCoys. They're fighting each other right now. But on Twitch, the chat's been really nice and like they're super supportive and like they laugh at the same dumb jokes that I make. And I'm sinking into this Twitch life where I actually kind of resist the chat now i'm like me and the chat we're going on another adventure today it's nice yeah. it's endearing during uh, the first quarantine in 2020 we had this thing with my friends where we would just meet every afternoon and dinner and, and evening on discord and we would just play like you know among us five and that's basically the experience with twitch chat like you're playing you're streaming your games and people keep you company basically if you're listening to this podcast and you watch a twitch streamer don't have to say something because if it's something that is like nice or if it's something that is related about what's happening you're probably gonna get a respond or definitely gonna please the streamer because the streamer wants to entertain it's like if you go to a theater and you are a comedy person mm -hmm. you need the people to laugh at your joke or mm -hmm. you're not gonna be feeling it you know if no one's writing anything you're not gonna feel it that's the difference between the two things but 
of course, YouTube, you've highlighted it months ago as some advantages. That's really awesome that you've just continued to evolve throughout the shifting landscape of magic. I almost feel like that's like the meta meta game to magic. You can think about the meta game of whatever format you're playing, but if you're going to be a lifelong committed magic player, you have to evolve with the game. And I think you're a really great example, Mangu, of someone who is really committed to doing that. You're constantly updating your relationship with the game and constantly constantly adapting to these new ways that they're designing to play. Um, so I think that's really, really impressive. I have a quick question that I've just wanted to ask you forever. So we can get an off the cuff answer here, which is, which is the best magic format? Go. I have an answer. Like this is an official answer. Okay, to go on record, it's cube. To me, cube draft is the best. Personally, I prefer Vintage Cube because I like powerful magic. I like to just, you know, cast Time Walk, you know, powerful cards. But also whenever there's the Arena Cube, I enjoy that as well, as much as I enjoy, like, honestly, just playing any cube, even Popper Cube. About Constructed, that really just depends on the actual, like, card pool and band list. Sometimes we had amazing standard formats and less amazing standard formats, or we've had great modern formats and less, and same for Legacy and everything, but... And maybe like the reason why I love like standard so much was also because it was a competitive format. So I actually had to like practice to get the trophy because my goal was the trophy, the platinum thing and the stuff like that. And that gives me adrenaline winning. So I played mirror match of red black. I don't care. I just need to win. That was a totally different mindset than maybe what I have now. I've noticed lately you've been playing a lot of modern. Is the modern format in a pretty good place right now, do you think? For sure it is. They have released a lot of powerful cards with modern horizons too, which are a lot of expensive uh, powerful cards that have made the format way more expensive. But once again, I have the privilege to be able to play with whatever I want. So I am enjoying the cards. They've added so many powerful answers. So now the, the format is just very reactive. You can actually play super interesting games of magic there isn't a clear tier one you know despite the format being the same for seven months which if you think about magic after six or seven months that just doesn't happen you have something at the top after a while but you know they still haven't banned anything and no one knows what's the best thing and if they know it that's probably not you know so i love it i love to play modern and you can still brew and it's nice do you enjoy historic as arena's busted format and as Arena's eternal format, do you enjoy Historic? And I'd also be curious to hear, like, what would you like for Historic to look like as someone who's very used to playing Eternal format? I really like Historic. Whenever I play Arena for the past two weeks, I think, since after the Arena opened, I haven't played Alchemy anymore. Mostly because I was pretty pissed that they banned my Leer deck. They just completely nerfed it. You know, Leer is such a fun card, at least for me. Of course, yeah. like, it's not great to receive Leer. But completely killed my deck as well as like every other one's deck except for Werewolf and I didn't like it. Again, I don't really tend to complain that much, but we have a new set now, which is Kamigawa. And of course, I'm trying Alchemy because the set championship is Alchemy the next month. So I have to play Alchemy. If I play Standard, I'm literally just, it's time that I could spend playing Alchemy because I have to play Alchemy eventually to practice for the event. So I'll play Alchemy with Kamigawa cards. And I'll also play Historic, of course, with the Kamigawa cards. For the questions of where do you see Historic going, in my ideal world of Magic Arena, I would see Standard and Pioneer, and I would see Alchemy and Historic. Standard and Pioneer should mimic Paper Magic. So when Paper Magic returns, they will have PPTQs or whatever system you want to have that has Standard and Pioneer and Modern. 
mostly standard and pioneer, I think, because they're cheaper and they think a monetary entry barrier is not good in magic. Also, of course, standard pioneer helps selling boosters, blah, 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 but that's not none of my business. And then you have alchemy and historic. So historic is this form of where they just add cards like Pyrexion Tower or today I played against Chromatic Sphere or, you know, Ether Spell. But you have like all these wild cards and, you know, that's it. That's historic. You have like crazy cards. You have like, of course, alchemy cards go into it pretty well, I think, because it's this like crazy place where you just place. I think it's cool that. And in the craziness of it, you have some like constants, which is cat food. Like that's been around since 2018. You've had people playing cat food and you can still play them now very competitively and they're never going to ban it or never going to nerf it i think formats need to have identity personally that's it like you have to deal with this recursive two car combo which is not great but it's I actually like it so much man <laughs> I, i've never played it personally but wow. i think it's cool it makes you like react to it you need to have a answers and personally i think that giving formats identity is not bad like having this trio of is it phoenix just get control and black green food as your whole identity. I think it's all right. And in the meanwhile, you have like all the weird combo that go out, the life gain Selesnia thing that came out, stuff like that. So in my mind, it doesn't look like they want to do it, but I would just keep printing sets until the beginning of Pioneer to have standard and pioneer as well as alchemy and historic. I actually wanted to ask you because it stood out to me while you were talking, and it has stood out to me a lot playing historic about how creature heavy it is as a format, which I think is really interesting, right? I think like a lot of times when you look at older formats, you have these combo base, you're gonna win with creatures, it's often just like in one turn kind of a thing. And I feel like historic is perhaps somewhat unique in the fact that a lot of the most competitive decks are like these creature based decks that really win by turning sideways. I just wanted to get your perspective on that as someone who has been playing for a long time. Is that unique or have there been for example, periods in modern history that looked kind of like historic, where you just had all of these creature decks vying for the top. I think that right now, modern is very, very creature decks. The top decks are Hammer Time, uh, Is It Murktide, Grixis, Death Shadow, and even the Omnath deck plays Ragavan, plays Solitude. You actually, modern magic, I think they've just been printing a lot of removal spells and creature that's like been the trend and in story they've banned all the wildness reclamation next to fate all the sort of unfair things that you can do you can't do with them actually so you're left with the kinnan combo that paradox engine which played against that just earlier today so i i still remember that you do have combos there's like music's mastery with dragon storm like you could do the stuff but the counters are there, the anti-graveyard are there. There's just so much protection that what stand out at the end is just these creatures that can interact. Do you think that's a healthy place for a format to be? I think so. Having aggro or just creature decks being at the top of the magic game is always good because you can always react to the aggro deck. It's not that hard to react to aggro decks. Just put like, I don't know, anger of the gods in your main deck or things like that. Whereas whenever the one reclamation next to fate deck is the top of the meta game, you've seen it in standard with Aaron's Epiphany. When the combo deck sits on top of the meta game, it's very hard for the aggro deck. Also, it creates bad games because you have to go under very quickly before the windows close for the combo deck to close you out. So you create just bad games of magic, which are just, I go fast or I lose on tier six. Whereas interactive formats where you can still like just play creatures, kill and blah, blah, blah. And like, like a company, Inquisitor Captain, cars they help you refuel. I like historic. I think it's a good format. Have you 
done much standard since the bands? Has it become a little mid-rangier without All Runs Epiphany? Do you have any takes on standard right now? Unfortunately, I don't. Again, I focus on the set championship formats, which are alchemy and historic. Unfortunately, I'm not trying standard, which I'm sure, as I say often, every magic format is great as long as you don't play too much. The secret to success. When I got to travel to Barcelona and when I got to go to the Mythic Invitational and meet a bunch of the players I had watched for a decade or so, because I literally would have watch parties with my friends, never missed a pro tour, even though I wasn't on one. But it's hard to express what a big part of my life hanging out on the weekends and watching pro magic with my friends became. And when I get to talk to somebody who was a part of that, who I saw in those spots so many times, I just kind of want to thank them for putting themselves out there and chasing their dreams and probably entertain and meant a lot to a bunch of people you'll never meet. So I'm just going to vicariously be a voice for that. And I've also had the pleasure in the last couple of years of meeting some of those people. Kind of a mixed bag. I don't expect much when I meet people. But honestly, when I met you in Barcelona, you're like one of the warmest people. You're so easy to talk to. You're super gracious. You gave MTG Nurgle and I your phone number and everything because we were going to Italy. And you're like, if you need anything in Italy, you call me, take care of you. Like you are honestly one of the warmest people I've ever met, especially in a magic scene where people can get ground down in professional magic and become a little closed Mm -hmm. off. Don't lose that. I'm glad to see you making content. It means a lot to me. And thank you for all that you've given to the game. That's what I've got. I also want to thank you for the video that you made uh, at this point, a couple of months ago about about the get into YouTube Twitch streamer. You're welcome to go to YouTube. And I did that. So you definitely gave me the window to do so. I don't think I would have done it if I hadn't watched your video. So I just want to say that for me, it was a really life changer. It might not be like a life changer, you know, in 10 years, but for now, your video was a life changer. I'm now into YouTube and I can definitely see the YouTube channel, you know, outgrowing Twitch in not that many months from now. And uh, it was great. And uh, again, I appreciate that uh, you remember that thing in Barcelona. How did it go in Italy? Yeah, we stayed in Rome the whole time. It was really fun. Every day was like sleep in, go out, get some Italian food go back to the place and lay like magic events and draft and do stuff online and try different sealed formats. And I guess it's close to a testing experience, but with no tournament coming up, just playing because we loved it. So you just played Magic in Rome. That, that's what you did? I mean, okay, we visited the sites too. We oh, okay. Just, okay. I, I'm going to be honest. I dragged people out of that freaking room to go to the sites because I was like, we're in Rome. Come see something. We're going to see something today. The draft can wait. For sure. Yeah, Rome is definitely one of the best cities in the world for a various amount of reasons. And food is definitely one of them. The food was great. It was really great. Just while we have everyone's attention here, uh, what is the name of your own YouTube channel? I I know it sounds bad that I don't know it, but... (laughs) It's probably just Andrea Mengucci video. The, the That's reason, my name on the on the YouTube. So <laughs> the the reason I, I ask is because you know you probably still have a big presence on Channel Fireballs YouTube, and I just want to make sure that people are able to find you when they go looking for you. Yeah, just Andrea Mengucci video. It must be that okay, one. It's okay. always weird because like it's just my name all the <laughs> so, time. It's like so. Twitch Magic always build this brand under the name. So while I am like Mango Zero Nine, I still like go by my name, and that's definitely a thing that I love. Just keeping name and surname. No, just the standings. You know, when you go to a Magic tournament, you read the standings. It was always like that. So you all know what to do, crafties. Just go over and subscribe to Mango's content. Thank you. you. 
You won't regret it. He does regularly release arena content. So if that's what you primarily care about, you'll find mm -hmm. that. I can attest, Mango is one of my absolute favorite streamers. And the only reason I don't watch you more often is because you start at midnight my time. And so I only get to watch you if I'm having trouble sleeping. But at the same time, I catch some of the American viewers who have a problem sleeping. I just checked <laughs> it earlier today. Americans are the people who watch the most, 21% Americans and 19% Italians. So, so despite starting at midnight uh, uh, West Coast, I still... Uh, we're, we're workaholics. <laughs> we can't sleep. We've got problems. Might as well watch some Mangu Cuisine. For me, it's a win-win. Either I'm getting a good night's sleep or I'm watching Mangu stream. So there's no downside. Before we go out here, whenever we have one of the best Magic players in the world, on our podcast, I always just want to try to get a little bit of advice to help make our players a little bit better. So it's a bit of a broad question, but I wanted to ask what's something or maybe just a couple of things that you notice, particularly on Arena. Let's say you're playing, you know, your average day on Arena. What are the things that keep coming into your mind? Like, oh my gosh, my opponents keep making this mistake. Or if only people were to do this, if only the average ladder grinder were to do this or these couple of things, they would see much better results. So what are some of those things that come to your mind? Since we have the king of best of one here, I'm going to go to best of three, the <laughs> suggestion here. If you ever play best of three, and this will happen this weekend if you play the historic qualifier, because I believe that's only best of three, but maybe I'm wrong. Come into the tournament with a plan. So many people, what do they do is they net deck, because like that's entirely fine. There's no shame in net deck. You net deck, you know, a decklist that did well in MTG Melee tournament or decklist that you've seen me playing. And that's it. You know, it has 15 cards in the sideboard. What do I do now? I just join. I actually made a video on the channel, which was like explaining how to build the deck, like from scratch. And the important thing was when building the sideboard, understanding the pieces, how they exchange. So why do I have this? In that video was as per control, but why do I need, I don't know, four dresses and three negates in the sideboard? Because in the main deck, I have four mass removal and three spot removal that I need to take out against control. So... Not only just build your sideboard thinking about main deck, but even when you net deck, just try to understand how you're supposed to sideboard. And if you don't understand it, just change it in a way that would make you easier. Because if you have a card in your sideboard and you're not going to bring it in because you don't know when to sideboard it in or you're just overboarding for a matchup, like you have 10 cards against control, but the main deck, you don't have that many cards to take out. Just put like, I don't know, additional graveyard aid or an additional cards against burn or stuff like that because you have a plan when sideboarding. So my biggest suggestion to the average Magic player is always to think about the sideboard before actually joining a best of three match and write a sideboard guide for the top five most popular matches. Like that's not only a thing that pros do, like everybody should write their own sideboard guide about their deck. I like that you talked about if you notice that there's a card that you consistently don't board in, or maybe a card that you do board in and you draw it and you hate it, you're like, oh my god, why am I playing this magic card? Don't play it in your deck, even if some pro player is playing it. I love oh, yeah. that because it's kind of like people working with where they're at. If you don't understand something, then just try something else. Yeah, especially in this world without a consolidated pro system, the person that you're net decking from might have just built a list, played well, or got lucky and won the thing. So it's not guaranteed that the person you're net decking is better than you. As much as it was before with all the MPL and Pro system where people were like, 
very much into actually building the perfect 75. Or they could just have a pet card. They could be BBD with a squire in the sideboard, <laughs> you know? Or black cat. I remember a friend of mine had a black cat always in their neck. <laughs> For those of you watching who never play best of three, it is a very rewarding format. We do often talk about best of one here, but I will say that whenever I find myself hating magic, oftentimes just switching over to best of three, or if I'm in best of three, switching over to best of one, sometimes that's all the difference it takes for me to start enjoying myself again. Was your advice for best of one players to be to play more best of three, was it? You can say it. I can handle it. I can say it if you want. <laughs> want yeah. is a strong word. <laughs> the best of one champion will be me, though. I was going to say, I mean... You're the duo standard <laughs> champion. No, don't do Here it. Here it comes. Don't do it. Here it comes. Oh, it's the trophy. Oh, my gosh. The trophy. <laughs> Kovac Goblu uh, has his YouTube trophy. Mango has his <laughs> invitational trophy. The best of one trophy. They give any mofo one of these. Mango's going to get this eventually, I believe. <laughs> if there's anyone who could come on this podcast who could challenge Kovac Goblu's one and best of one, it would be Andrea Mangucci. If I had so. one, if I could have been anyone for one day, I want to be Andrea <laughs> Mangucci winning the only best of one tournament in magic history. So that, that I could flex that at every opportunity. <laughs> that was definitely a, a good event to be reminded of for sure. There were so many times where I was just one card away from losing. That event was so sick. You just get eliminated on day one and it was over. It was a great event. Well, it's so cool to see that trophy IRL, so to speak. <laughs> I'm used to seeing that over on the right-hand side as like my opponent's pet. During PV Worlds, you could choose it. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Mangu. CGB setup, but you really are just one of the greatest Magic players of all time. And uh, we're really privileged to have you here. And the game is better for having you in it. Uh, we, we really appreciate all of your contributions. You made it very clear. It's very easy to find you you basically anywhere that you are search for andrea mangucci you're primarily active on youtube twitter and twitch yeah i'm also on instagram on mango instagram. online okay do you have like a mango food channel on instagram or anything like that so it's weird because instagram is mostly used by italians and i don't really want to show off the italian food to the italians Got so it. i actually mostly show the food to the americans on twitter because twitter is mostly <laughs> americans so i'm mostly food active on twitter on instagram less of that on instagram is more cube i take a lot of photos during the cube and post it in the stories okay cool so you're on instagram are there any other platforms that we should watch out for you on i think it's all like twitter twitch youtube instagram four, okay four. it's a lot already by doing <laughs> it's, you're you're good man maybe we'll get an only someday if we're lucky <laughs> took it too far as for uh this podcast you can find us uh we're also on twitter there's me there's arena craft pod on twitter you can also find covert go blue if you search for him on twitter on twitter Over yeah. vanilla co-host on twitter <laughs> search vanilla you'll he'll, he'll pop right up you can also find covert go blue streaming a lot more these days apparently on twitch you can find me streaming sporadically on twitch you can watch this wonderful video on covert go blue's youtube channel which i recommend you do because Andrea Mangucci is very entertaining to watch talk and also you can see his wonderful trophy right there in the background. Trophy flex hits different on YouTube. So yeah, check that out. But of course, if you're an audio listener, you know, you want to listen at the gym or whatever, go ahead and uh, you can listen to us on Spotify and pretty much anywhere that you find podcasts. Once again, thanks so much for coming on the show, Andrea. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you.